100 episodes with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the 200th episode of the Robots Podcast. In this special celebratory episode, we'll look back on some of the highlights of the podcast with a panel of some of our long-standing team members. And we'll also hear from one of the big names in robotics, Rodney Brooks. So let's get started with our Robots panel. The panel is led by Audra Nash, interviewer and director of the podcast and first-year graduate student in robotics at the University of Michigan in the United States, whose work focuses on swarms of unmanned aerial vehicles. And the panel is made up of Marcus, Pear, Peter and Sabine. Marcus Weibel is an advisor and co-founder of the podcast based in Switzerland and in his working life co-founded Verity Studios, a startup that focuses on new methods of interacting with unmanned aerial vehicles. Per Sjöborg is one of our interviewers. He runs several robotics startup companies on modular robotics in Sweden. Peter Dürr is our audio editor and one of the podcast's co-founders as well. Currently, he's based in Japan as a researcher working on unmanned aerial vehicles for industrial use at Aerosense. And last but not least, Sabine Howard, long-standing advisor, interviewer and co-founder and in her working life, lecturer in robotics at the University of Bristol in the UK with a focus on swarming nanobots. So that's our panel. Now over to you, Audrey. So, Sabine, what has been your favorite episode with the podcast? That was a really tough question. I think there's been so many episodes over over the years now, 200 episodes. So it, it is pretty pretty hard to choose. Uh, I sort of have a selection of people I liked to interview. Dario Floriano was one of them. He's one of the reasons the Robots podcast exists, and he started this all out um, over at EPFL. Um, I really liked interviewing Bob Full as well about bio-inspired uh, robots Uh, Rodney Brooks a couple times, uh, including at the offices of Rethink Robotics. So that was fun because I got to tour Rethink Robotics at that time and, and have a chat with Rod uh, over in his office. And then there were things that were really outside uh, the scope of what I was used to discussing or studying in the robotics realm. So things like uh, interviews with Ryan Kahlo, which were more about the legal aspects. Uh, that's something I hadn't really thought about. And I think just talking to Ryan back then uh, was quite, quite helpful for me in terms of framing that. Um, and Radhika Nagpal, just because she's in an area that I love and she's a, a great researcher. Great. All right. Now, Peter, which have been your favorite episodes? Yeah, um, with Sabine here, it's been really difficult to, to choose one. So uh, as an audio editing guy, I get to listen to all the episodes before anyone else. I'm always looking forward to, to each and every new episode. But if you pin me down on one, I'm going to go for number 166, uh, Quest for Computer Vision with uh, Peter Cork. Because I, I work with computer vision in my day job, and I really, really liked uh, Peter Cork's uh, insightful uh, interview and, and his overview over, over this uh, super interesting field. That's what you did, Audro. Yes, it is. Thank you. I'm honored. All right. And Per, what has been your favorite episode? 
So I like uh, an episode from the precursor to Robots podcast, um, Talking Robots, with Robin Murphy from Texas A&M. She's from there, I think, about rescue robotics. I think her attitude to designing robots that actually work and do do the task they're assigned to in a very hard environment was, I think that was great content. Um, the favorite interview to do for me had to be the one I did with Mark Tilden in Hong Kong in his amazing apartment with an amazing view and probably, I kid you not, 5,000 robots in there and everything from the Huawei stuff to the Beam robotic stuff. It was just amazing to hear his enormous uh, experience and see all the robots. So that was the favorite one to record for me. But as everyone else has said, there's so many good interviews and I've been fortunate enough to meet so many great people. It's really impossible to choose. All right. And Marcus, what has been your favorite episode? So uh, I've, I've not been able to pick a single one. Um, I think generally I, I really enjoy the business-related uh, episodes. And I guess part of that is that it's a personal interest. It's how my personal interests have evolved over the years. But it's also that, you know, when we started this uh, this podcast series and the Talking Robots precursor was already mentioned by Per. Uh, when we started in, in 2006, um, in these first episodes, 40 or 45 episodes, there were almost entirely academics that we interviewed. Um, and that was, you know, about 10 years ago, uh, that was what was out there mostly. And now if I, if we look over the interviews we've done last year, it, it turns out it's almost half and half. It's half industry and it's half academia. Um, and I think that's an interesting development of the, of the field and I enjoy that aspect of it very much. What's your favorite, Audra? So I like two of my favorite episodes, though it is really hard to pick, as everyone has been saying, were episode 98 on self-organizing systems with Radhika. Uh, that episode, it gave a great overview of the field, and it was interesting listening to her describe it. And then episode 101, called History and Outlook, with George Becky and Rodney Brooks, because it gave a big picture of what they have seen in robotics. So it was interesting having the interviewer pick into their wisdom, uh, getting a better perspective than I have on robotics. So those have been my favorite interviews so far. Um, Marcus, if you would start us with what are you most interested in robotics and why? So I work with drones every day. Uh, small flying machines, so obviously I have a huge interest uh, there. But apart from that, uh, one area I've been really very excited about from the very start uh, of this series are exoskeletons and uh, prosthetics, and uh, I'm, I'm just really fascinated with the potential of of that field. Uh, and I think I think uh, there's there's so much potential to increase. Uh, our independence uh, as we age with these technologies. And I'm really, uh, as a hobby, I guess, now, uh, closely following how these technologies develop and, and are being brought to market. And I have the second one, if I may, um, and that's speech recognition. It's really more AI, but uh, I think speech recognition will, complete, will completely revolutionize uh, the way we interact with technology. You know, right now, all data is entered by, 
by keyboard, keyboard uh, or by mouse, except for podcasts, I guess. But we can't really communicate with machines in a natural way. And I think that will, that will uh, revolutionize the way we interact with technology across the board um, if we manage to solve the privacy issues associated with that, which will not be easy. Associated with speech recognition? I think with speech recognition, of course, the next step is then doing something with that, with that actual speech. And uh, I think the, the prevalent solution right now would be to do some type of cloud processing. Um, but if you think of uh, robots like Jibo or, uh, you know, Amazon's, uh, Amazon's uh, desktop robots, AI companions, then there's always this big question, do I really want Amazon or whoever else to listen in on all the conversations I'm having uh, in my house or in my car or in my office. And I think before that gets resolved, there will be, it will be difficult to roll that out in a major way, that technology. Great. All right. And Per. So everybody that knows me knows that I love the modular robotic stuff and the self-reconfiguring modular robotic stuff. And what I see is that there's so many systems now coming out that are at least very modular. They might not be self-reconfiguring just yet, but, but, but they're very modular. And I see uh, much more practical systems that you can get your hands on and that are becoming commercially off-the-shelf things and... That's really that's that's really exciting to me. But I would also like to say, like Marcus said, that that we're seeing more startups, that we're seeing more business being uh, generated around this, and also value provided to the customer. That's probably one of the most exciting things I see in the robotics field as a whole. We are making businesses out of this. We are providing use for the customer, and that is just amazing. And it's um, it's going to be very very nice for the robotics field that we, we are that way. All right. Peter, what is most interesting to you and why? Yeah, I'm really, really excited about artificial intelligence. So um, the field has made huge progress over, over the last few decades. We have been able to uh, create computers that can beat humans at chess, that can recognize not only recognize dogs in images but tell you or uh, differentiate between lots and lots of different uh, uh, kinds of dogs we can surpass humans at recognizing human faces and so on it's true that um we cannot match uh, the the human brain or or even animal brains at, at certain tasks but i think it, it, we've made huge progress in artificial intelligence and i cannot wait to see uh, how how robots will how intelligent robots will be in the near future so that that's what really excites me all right and sabine what is most interesting and why it's really interesting because nearly 10 years ago when we were starting the podcast we were worried we wouldn't have enough material to keep the podcast going every two weeks that we'd somehow run out of topics um, and that definitely hasn't happened. And I, I was looking at the topics of these 200 episodes, and they are all very different, just showing the breadth uh, of the field, I think. If I had to pick one, and I'm going to be a little bit biased because this is the field I work in, I'm quite excited about swarm robotics. Uh, and the reason I'm most excited about it now is because I think we finally reached a point where we can make 
uh, a thousand robots or a thousand plus robots and have them have them coordinate. I think those are the sheer numbers uh, that are going to make swarm robotics interesting. And I also think the other aspect is now we know how to make single robots uh, that do something interesting in the real world. And so scaling up those numbers uh, is something that is going to make sense application wise. Uh, and, and the other side I'm really interested in is as you think of these large numbers, uh, then an obvious application becomes the biomedical field. Uh, because whether you're talking about cells or you're talking about nanorobots, now we're talking about molecules or chemistry. These things work in the trillions. And I think a lot of what we were thinking about in the field of swarm robotics applies to those very large numbers of very simple uh, entities that could be helpful for detecting cancers or doing something interesting in the body. So that's that's the field I'm excited about right now. What has been your best experience with Robots Podcast? I think it was really starting it. Um, so Marcus was doing the episodes uh, for Talking Robots to start out with, um, along with Peter. And Peter's always been there doing the audio. I think that's absolutely amazing. Um, and just seeing, seeing everyone set up this sort of semi-pro sound studio within the laboratory, because we were all in the same lab back in the days in Dario Floriano's lab at EPFL. Um, and so we'd put, basically take um, the, the couch whatever was on that couch and put it against the wall and soundproof the room so there wouldn't be any echo. Um, and, and Peter had, he, he, Peter, you're, you're a professional musician. So you had this super sophisticated setup with the real microphones, like in the, in the, in the radio shows. Um, and we'd set up this whole, whole setup uh, within the laboratory. And that was really fun. I think just, just starting up that, that whole podcast and getting going and in the beginning, it took a lot of time. Uh, but I think what's also fun is to see how it's evolved into something that works, that's efficient. Audrey, you've done an amazing job um, in terms of, of of continuing the podcast and making sure that we can keep going uh, by having it run so nicely um, and just seeing how global it's become. You know, Per's in Tokyo, Marcus is in Switzerland, I'm based in the UK, Audrey, you're in the US. So I think just seeing that evolution from all of us in this office at EPFL with, you know, this, this semi-professional sound studio up to something that's 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 this global. All right. And Peter, what has been your best experience? Yeah, I think now that Sabine is telling the anecdotes from the early days, that that was certainly fun. And uh, yeah, I, I think for me, it's been seeing the team grow. So th there's been new people like uh, yourself, Audra, that's been stepping up and making the the podcast better thank you and that that's been amazing for me to see i've sort of been the the dinosaur uh kind of be, trying to be the constant in the background mm. uh, with new people stepping up and that, it's been really really nice gotcha per what have been your favorite moments well, just being able to work with this amazing team, you, Audro, Sabine, Marcus, and of course, Peter, you've been doing an amazing job. So just working with the team and being able to go out and, and meet the interviewees and talk to them about what they're doing in an amazing field. I've met so many interesting people doing this uh, that, I, that I'm just amazed by all the meetings, all the people I've uh, come to know also. Uh, through this work so it's just amazing it's been an amazing opportunity for me to immerse myself in an area that I've been interested in for a very long time so um, I can say that if anybody out there is listening doing interviews is an amazing experience you should try it it is very fun all right and Marcus 
What has been your best experience with Robots Podcast? So I'm uh, with Per on this one. Uh, I think for me, it's it's all about the people um, and the people on this team. Um, I've been deeply impressed and, and and also inspired by by the excitement and by the energy and by by the dedication and tenaciousness that that people have uh, have put forward to make this uh, to make this project uh, come alive initially and stay alive for for nearly ten years. I think it's going to be this year. So. Um, yeah, it's really all about the team. And I think everybody who's here today has, has greatly contributed to making this happen. And, uh, yeah, I'm honored to be, to be part of it. What about you, Audra? It is the same. Uh, it's working with you guys. It's, uh, it was an amazing experience going to the same conferences and seeing everyone, seeing you guys in person, because we're often on calls like this for the weekly meetings and that kind of thing. But seeing you guys in person and connecting, it's, I don't know, that's the best part for me. So, uh, again, we'll start with you, Marcus. Uh, What lessons have you learned in your robotics research? So I think there's lots of technical things that I could probably talk about. But the the, the key lesson that I've learned over the years uh, goes back to what we just discussed as part of the previous question. It's about the people. I think what I've learned is that it really matters what people you work with. And, you know, I've long tried to to work with people who are better than me. And I think I've been extremely fortunate in that respect. And I would recommend that to anyone. Try to find somebody to work with who's who's better than you. And Per? For me, for me, I, since I'm not a robotics researcher, I think I learned another thing from the interview situation where you, you've, you're face-to-face with this person and, and you're trying to be the voice of the listener in, in that situation. I learned a totally new way of listening to things, and that's been very helpful for me in my regular day. Because uh, when I listen to an interviewee speaking, you listen in a very focused and a very structured way. And that's been tremendously beneficial for me in my, uh, in my life in general. So listen very intently, very focusedly. Uh, and that's been an amazing experience to get that. Yes, I think the same thing um, with listening to the people. Interviewing is a great way to strengthen that. All right. And Peter, what would you like to share with our listeners? For me, one interesting point, if you listen to, to the many episodes on the podcast, is how uh, the, the best researchers and the most, most interesting people, I think, have a talent to explain things or explain their research in relatively simple terms. And I think that's extremely difficult and it's very, very uh, useful skill to have. So, in, in my opinion, if if you cannot explain uh, something in in relatively simple terms, you probably haven't really understood it. It's it's quite amazing mm-hmm. uh, how how the best researchers can explain difficult things because they understand them so well. Yes, I think so. And Sabine. So what experience would you like to share or what have you learned that you'd like to share with our listeners? 
Well, I think science communication and, and how valuable that is, uh, is what I learned. And I guess that, that ties back to what Peter was saying. I think of all the skills I learned during my PhD, doing, doing the podcast was probably one of the most, the most valuable uh, because talking to, you know, to so many researchers about their work sort of opens your mind to all the different areas you might not be looking at during your PhD because you learn to listen, as, as Per mentioned, uh, because you learn how to ask questions and be very quick at processing information because you have to go to their website and learn what they're doing and, and sort of master that topic very quickly so that you can talk to them about it. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of, of selling yourself in the real world afterwards, whether you're in academia or whether you're in business, uh, being able to communicate is is one of the key key skills that I think is is really valuable and that I got out of the podcast out of the podcast. So hopefully, young PhD students uh, will do the same and will will start blogging and podcasting and doing SciCon of their own. Great. All right. Thank you, everyone. Happy 200th episode. Now let's move on to the second part of episode number 200, an interview with Professor Emeritus of Robotics and founder, chairman and CTO of Rethink Robotics, Rodney Brooks. Hi, Rod. Welcome to the Robots Podcast. Well, thanks for, for having me and I'm honored to be on number 200. That's great that you've had so many. Yeah, we're pretty excited. The podcast's been running for nearly a decade now and, and we're glad we could have you on our show so many times. So what has changed since you talked to us about the subsumption architecture? Well, I, I, I think well, ten, in, the, in the last 10 years, a, a bunch of things have changed. In terms of subsumption robots, there's now uh, at least 14 million of them out there in the world. So that's pretty good. Uh, and there weren't anywhere near that many 10 years ago. The, the iRobot Roomba is really a subsumption-based robot. So it's been, that's been pretty successful in that niche. But I think uh, the other big thing that's changed is uh, really, I think Ross, although there were lots of competitors for Ross, and, you know, I, I love Ross, but it could have equally been another uh, uh, thing could have won. But there's sort of been a winner-take-all, and now that so many people are using Ross, uh, the fact that, you know, it's a bit like Linux, the fact that so many people are using it means that people get to work together and exchange things and, and it's really taken off and grown in the research arena. Um, and part of that has also let people see what robots could do. So we've got um, a lot getting towards a lot more practical applications than we had 10 years ago. A lot of our listeners can go back and listen to your interview about Rethink Robotics. Uh, how is the company going? And, and tell us a little bit about your new robot, Sawyer. Yeah, so we, we had always intended to have more than one robot, um, but with a common software platform. Um, you know, industrial robots in general, I've likened most industrial robots, when you buy them, it's like buying a smartphone, but the manufacturer says, oh, and if you want a camera, you can buy that as an extra. And if you want a microphone, you can buy that as an extra. Oh, and by the way, it's possible to write programs so that it can operate as a phone if you write the code. Uh, they come as sort of empty shelves. Um, so we decided to have a, a, a software stack with intelligence, the whole, you know, sort of like uh, Android, if you like, or like iOS um, for a smartphone, and to have all the sensors there, but then have that software platform work across multiple robots and we always use the idea of uh, the analogy of ios runs on ipads and runs on iphones 
So Baxter was our first robot. We learned a lot from it. It's still, you know, uh, a, a great robot. We're still selling a lot of them. Um, uh, and uh, uh, at the same time, we saw an opportunity for a smaller robot, especially in China, um, where it could work side by side in close proximity to people. Um, a lot of people still think that China has so much uh, labor, they couldn't possibly want robots. But if you look at the, the demographics in China, the number of 19-year-olds, absolute number of 19-year-olds is dropping by 30% over a 10-year period. And 19-year-olds are where the labor force comes from for manufacturing. So uh, China's in desperate straits uh, in terms of labor for manufacturing. Um, and really good, well-run companies that make electronics for the Western world will have a labor turnover rate of 16% per month. Um, and you can imagine how hard it is to run a run a manufacturing company when there's such high turnover. But the nice thing about that is that the electronics manufacturers in China have had to break down the, the manufacturing task into a lot of simple tasks that a new person can be trained on how to do in just five minutes. So that's ideal for being able to put a robot in there because it's not a it's not a really complex task with lots of judgment involved. It's a fairly simple task. So we can, can, we can train a Sawyer to, uh, to do the task in just a few minutes also. Um, and then they don't quit uh, after a couple of months. So the markets are very different between the USA and China. Does that warrant different types of robots? Yeah, the markets are different. The, 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 you, you know, if you go into one of those Chinese factories, and I've been going into them for over 20 years, people really are just two or three inches from the next person. Um, a Baxter is way too large to sit at one of those workstations. Uh, so we had to build a much smaller robot uh, going after the Chinese market. Um, and we did, we did see that there was a, a need to be able to handle five kilograms, um, which is more than... than and Baxter, um, and uh, and we also need it because uh, uh, people have hips and can lean far forward, but the robot doesn't have hips. We need the longer reach on the arm also. So Sawyer's arm is actually longer than um, than Baxter's. It's longer than than you know Universal robots. It's longer than uh, the Kuka Iwa. Um, uh, but it is so that it can really do the, the task that a person can do with hips. It's really great to see the evolution of these robots. We have, we have a Baxter at the Bristol Robotics Lab. Yes, that lab at Bristol is great, by the way. It's our 200th episode, uh, and we've been doing this for a long time, so obviously we think it's important for roboticists to go out and spread the word about what they're working on. What, why do you think that's important? Well, I think, I think it's important so people can understand what robots can do. I think we're seeing in the press um, a, little, a, little, um, a little bit of uh, um, incorrect information coming, I think, from people who are outside robotics and misunderstanding what it can do. Um, uh, the fear of robots taking away all jobs, I think, is misplaced. And the, what's really misplaced is the fear that robots are going to rise up and and decide to get you know to take over the world. Uh, that makes no sense at all to me. And the 
people who are, you know, sort of well-known scientists or well-known technologists, but are not roboticists who are saying that, I think it's just doing the whole world a disservice uh, because there is no chance of anything like that happening anytime soon. As anyone who works in robotics really understands that, you know, we can barely get our robots to do most things. They're not magic machines. And um, so I think it's important for roboticists to talk to the regular press and, and help them understand that. And I think it's important for roboticists to talk to people like you and, and uh, you, you know, for the, for the robot-loving audience and, and help everyone understand what the significant research problems are that uh, are still there to be solved because there's plenty of them and there's plenty of room for new people to come in with, with new ideas. And uh, so uh, I think my role these days is to talk about plausible things that robots might do in the hope that that will encourage young researchers to come up with brilliant ideas on how to do it. So what are these plausible things? Well, I I, I actually think the thing that's really going to drive robotics for the next 30 years is is elder care. Um, If you look at demographics in in Europe, in North America, in China, and more so even in Japan, the number of older people to younger people, that ratio is increasing rapidly. I just saw a statistic yesterday that um, I think within a few years, a third of all people in Japan are going to be over 65. And before long, by 2050, the ratio, whereas it used to be nine and a half people putting pay into their social security system for every person being supported by social security, it's going from a ratio of nine and a half down to less than two over the next few years. So those, those older people will not be able to pay for the services that they might want. They're, they're living longer, and they, we, I should include me in the older people, we will want um, our dignity and our independence uh, longer as we're, as we're staying, living longer, but we'll need, need help. So I see the, the driver-assist features of, of uh, cars being you know, turning cars into elder care robots because it lets people drive safely longer, which lets them have their independence longer, which lets them have their dignity longer. But I think robots in the home are going to be necessary to help older people. I was just at um, IREX, the International Robot Exhibition in uh, Japan in late November. A lot of industrial robots, a lot of um, emergency rescue robots, you know, uh, following on in the uh, DARPA robot challenge uh, sort of applications. But also the interesting there in Japan was to see a whole bunch of booths from various research institutes and universities with robots to help the elderly, uh, to help them with mobility in the house, to help them get into bed, out of bed, to help them wash. Now, these these robot demonstrations were not something that's going to be deployable uh, in real homes in the next uh, year or three or five, but I think it's great that researchers in Japan, at least, are now turning to this as, as a place where they can have a real impact. And I think we're going we're gonna to need uh, lots of robots to help the elderly so that the, uh, the rest of society is not completely swamped by this massive relative number of elderly to younger people. I agree. That's a great application. 
Going back to this idea of hype, do you feel like there's more hype and misinformation than before? And, and how does that change the way you, you need to communicate about your robots? Yeah, I, I think it has changed because of the the uh, high profile of some people who've come out and said rather silly things, I think, over the last year or two. Um, but let's talk about my own obligations at this company. Um, what we see is people see our robot and they imagine it can do any task in any factory. And that's just not true. We can only do a, a relatively small number of tasks. So our, our, our constant thing is how we get people who are representatives out in the world selling a robot, get them in here and train them on what is possible versus what is you know, imagined someone would like the robot to do and then be able to effectively uh, communicate that uh, so that only so people only buy the, the robot with their eyes open on, on, on what it really can do for them and don't buy it um, uh, you know, with some imagined thing. I remember when Baxter was first was first announced, a, a prominent blogger said to me, uh, well, I'm so disappointed. I thought I was going to be able to have Baxter steer my yacht. And I was thinking, where did you, why would you ever think a robot could steer a yacht, you know, and take the helm? Uh, so just unbelievable expectations of, of, of robots that, you know, a general purpose robot is just not going to be able to do something like that for a long, long time. Maybe in eight years for our four hundredth episode. So, what what can we expect to interview you about in eight years? Well, I think I think I think um, well, um, um, uh, hopefully my robot will help me out of bed. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think we are going to see the the more um, by then. I think we're going to start to see some companies really being in the elder care space. We're seeing a bunch of companies in the social robot space i'm a little more sanguine on that i don't think there's enough room for all the companies that are saying they're going to have social robots in the home um you know i i i've taken issue with some of the you know idea of companion robots i'm not sure that's where it's going to be i think it's more going to be physical help robots so uh, hopefully in eight years we'll start to see some of that i think the robots we're building with the arms that are safe to interact with, um, will let more people do research in that area. Um, so one of the reasons I really pushed uh, the team to make Baxter available as a research robot was that I thought it was important to have a platform where people didn't need to worry about the safety of the arms, but they could start doing work with the robot um, in whatever the field they chose, and I was hoping some would choose elder care. And uh, you know, there's been a, a, there's quite a few uh, university labs that are using Baxter's to do things like uh, assistively uh, help help an elderly person get dressed, or help someone in a in a, in a wheelchair, uh, or, or, you know, quadriplegic, uh, feed themselves, etc. Uh, and that, but you know, if you used a, just a regular old industrial arm that would be a pretty tricky, unsafe sort of proposition to have in contact with the people. Um, so even though this company is aimed at putting robots in factories, I think the technology of these safe arms is going to enable the next wave of research and the next wave of companies. Within the next eight years, I think we're going to start seeing some of them start to appear, some startups uh, in elder care. 
Excellent. Thanks, Rod, for joining our 200th episode. Well, thank you for having me, and, and congratulations on uh, doing this so well for so long. And that's the end of our celebratory 200th episode. We'd like to say a heartfelt thank you to all our current and past team members, our listeners, and everyone we interviewed over the years. And we'd also like to give special thanks to our new interviewers, Andrew Vaziri and Abate de Meye, who'll help us continue to bring you the latest news and views on robotics for many episodes to come. We hope you, our listeners, will stay with us. As always, we'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Two hundred episodes with Robots, the podcast for news and view on robotics.